Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning to you and a special welcome the uh, excited to be in our series, Follow Me, and today we're going to actually be in two locations, and both are uh, memorable. The first one is in a fishing boat, and the next moment in the life of Christ will be at the foot of a sycamore tree, and excited for what the Lord has for us in each of these moments, as we will discover really what is core to our calling as we set out to follow Jesus into a life of of love. We'll pick it up in Luke chapter 5. Here Luke begins to introduce to us a really colorful cast of characters as the uh, life of Christ is, is taking shape. Remember Luke is a uh, pictures Jesus going from where he's born in the, or that area of Nazareth in Galilee and it's a journey towards Jerusalem which will ultimately arrive at the cross. But the setting in this moment is a sweet one, especially as we come to the end of our big chill here in in winter, and we feel the thaw happening today, as uh, Luke actually helps us with that thaw as he walks us out onto the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and we'll uh, we'll go ahead. I picture, as we come to this moment, there's crowds on the beach, so I'm I'm going to assume or deduce that it's a beautiful day there at the Sea of Galilee. People want to be outside, want to be around the water, so I'm hearing, I'm seeing blue sky. You know, when you look out on a lake and you just see the water glistening, the sun hitting it, and uh, it, close your eyes, you can hear the sound of birds, seagulls, and kids playing, having a good time. Boats are coming and going. It, it is just a beautiful day. There's a crowd, though, gathering, and they're gathering around someone. We go over to look at it, and we pick it up there in verse 1. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and it's one of the names for the Sea of Galilee, another one's Tiberias. But the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So here's Jesus teaching the scriptures. And it says, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and he he taught the people from the boat. So Interesting, we read this at first glance, like that was kind of bold with, and why Simon? Why? Well, we know chapter 4, he, had, he already knew Simon, right? He was, spent time in his house, healed his mother-in-law, so Simon owed him one. <laughs> so maybe part of why he's, he gets into Simon's boat. But what Luke is doing here really is, we, we see the crowds, but the spotlight in this moment is really on Simon. And as Jesus gets into Simon's boat, pushes out, who's the captive audience having to listen to Jesus teach? It's Simon. He's like, you're going to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> he's doing a work. And so, but what he does, when he's done teaching the crowds, he surprises Simon as he says, verse 4 and 5. He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the, the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, what's going through Simon's mind as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, you don't fish during the day you catch fish at night and you catch them in the shallows it's daylight and he's saying go out to the deep so what's what's Peter thinking I'm pretty sure is hey I'm a fisherman you're a teacher let's stay in our lanes right don't tell me how to fish 
um, but because you say so, let's do it. Well, what happens? It says, uh, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats, come help. And they came and they filled up their boats so full that they began to sink. So it's the catch of catches. Now, what's a fisherman do when you have the catch of catches? You dance, you yell, you celebrate. But uh, Peter's not doing any of that. Notice what he does. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at, the, at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so James and John, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. And here, what, what we're learning is Peter's seeing it. And, you know, Peter's a fisherman. He makes money by fish. So first thought would have been, hey, Jesus, what are you doing tomorrow, right? Come help me fish again. This guy can fish. But what he realizes is, yes, he can fish. He can teach. He can fish. But how he fishes is not like us. This has the fingerprint of divine intervention, divine power. And he humbles himself before the Lord. As he sees Jesus for who he is, begins to see Jesus for who he is, someone God right now probably in his mind God is using, he sees his own sinfulness, his own who he is. And it's interesting, who does God choose to use in his work? And it's as we humble ourselves, we're lifted up. And I think part of the clue to, to why God chooses Peter and uses Peter is, is a humility that we see even here with our Lord. But, uh, but what happens next changes everything. And this is one of those moments that we could just soak in. It says that, then Jesus said to Simon, and I love the grace of our Lord right here. He could have said, yep, you're right, Peter, you are a sinner. Here's the Ten Commandments. We got to start working on some of these, brother, because you have got a long way to go. But he doesn't take his nose and rub it in his sin. What's he do? He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. He calls them up. You're going to be part of something that says, and so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything. Now, what fisherman leaves the biggest catch he's ever caught? fishermen who met the king but but they left everything and they followed him from now on the text says this is a turning point jesus is is pointing them to and it, it signifies a, a change of direction in their lives so what's going to change what will be the change and we see it there from now on you will fish for people so what just happened jesus just gave them a new calling up to this point, their priority, their pursuit, and their passion was to fish for fish. But what he's calling them to is a new priority, a new pursuit, and a new passion that will be to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. To, to go where? To fish for people core truth if we if you are truly following Jesus what will you be doing you'll be fishing for people it's core to our calling this is this is what a Jesus follower does in fact the word fish 
is uh, the Greek word ichthus, which became a symbol for early Christians where it was your identity. When they were getting persecuted, they'd, in the sand, they would, as a symbol to kind of identify each other, one would draw the one line and then the other would draw the other line that makes a fish in the sand. And, and what is that? It's just a reminder of what we're to be doing, fishing for people. So, okay, good. Let's all go fish for people. Well, what in the world does that mean, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fuzzy. Like, I'm sure a thousand and one questions were just ricocheting through the mind of Peter and, and the, the others who are following him. And they ricochet through our minds as well. What does this really mean as we do life? What, what exactly does it mean to fish for people? So that's where we're going to fast forward to really one of the most clarifying moments in the life of Jesus that, that helps answer these questions. What does it mean when Jesus said, we're going to go fish for people? What's that look like? And it is a moment that uh, scholars point to as really being one of the key texts in the entire uh, Gospel of Luke. If you're going to take one verse in the Gospel of Luke to explain what Luke was trying to get at, it would be Luke chapter 19, verse 10. But, uh, but we'll go ahead and relive the moment. So, if you would join me there, Luke 19, we'll start in verse 1. What Jesus says not only sums up his reason for coming to earth, but it, it informs ours as well um, and helps answer these questions. What does it mean to follow him as we set out to fish for people? So, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was uh, passing through. So, Jericho, is, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Jericho's quite a ways away from Galilee, and it's a pretty... If you, when I think of Jericho, I think of one of our retirement communities out in Arizona. It was a well-to-do place. A lot of wealthy people lived in, in Jericho. And there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors in Luke's gospel are, you could put the word, sinner. This is just they're, they're lying, cheating. They, they, they get rich off of the, uh, their own people taking more taxes than they should. And so they're just kind of, when you see tax collector, you think scumbag. And this is a chief sinner, um, a leader of these people. And he was wealthy. Now, uh, he wanted to, how many, I read this story, and I always think about the song we sang as kids and, and growing up in church. Does anybody else think about that? Do we still sing that song in our kids' ministries? No way! We, okay, so we have to sing it. Let's just sing it together to get it out of our head, all right? Everybody got to join me. Don't leave me hanging. But Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Hold up. Why do we rip on Zacchaeus for being a wee little man? Can you imagine when we get to heaven and Zacchaeus is like, what was up with that song? What man was to be called a wee little man? And we know he was a wee little, he was, he was shorter, but what was he really? He was a wealthy man. So let's change it. We're going we're gonna to say wealthy, wealthy instead of we, Okay. Zacchaeus was a wealthy, wealthy man, and a wealthy, wealthy man was he. He climbed up in that sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Hey, where were my guys? That's where we all got into it, wasn't it? <laughs> that was our favorite part of the song, guys. And then, and, well, how's the rest go? Zacchaeus, you come down from coming to your house today. Was that really Jesus' tone when he told Zacchaeus to come down? Probably not, but that was, that was our fun part. 
But anyway, so we know, um, it says he, verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short and he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. A couple things here, you never ran in this culture, especially if you were a wealthy person or a dignified person. So rich man running, rich man running, rich man running. That's, you got a rich man running. What's going on? He's got money. Rich man running. Something's happening in his heart. And you've got a rich man climbing a tree, which takes it to the next level of something's um, going on in this guy's heart. So when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and, and welcomed him gladly. And the word there is rejoicing. It's a theme that you see throughout Luke. But um, those in the presence of the Lord, the joy. And you just see, um, so excited. Can you imagine Zacchaeus is just trying to get a glimpse of this teacher, this rabbi coming through. Jesus stops, calls him by name, and says, um, I must stay at your house today. And so he welcomes him. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, 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 mutter. It's one of those words that sounds like it is in the original. And it says, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Why, why is he doing that? But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, and we're not quite sure of the timing of this, but this is probably at some point during the, the time at Zacchaeus' house, where he says, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I was thinking about just how radical that is generosity-wise. Like, how many cars do you own? And you just say you own two cars. You're going to give, just give one away right now. How much do you have invested in your house or property? You're just going to take whatever that investment is and just half of it. You're just today given, given away. And if I've cheated anyone four times, he doesn't even know how far this is going to go. But, um, but he's going to give it away. Jesus said to him, and this is in that response to why is he eating with sinners. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Meaning he's a true son of Abraham, a child of faith. For the son of man, and here's the key verse, for the son of man speaking of himself, came to seek and save the lost. How do we fish for people? What's that look like? And we just witnessed it as we watched our Lord interact with Zacchaeus. And it brings us to this simple calling. And here's the calling of the day. Follow me, the word of Jesus. Follow me to seek and save lost people. So, okay, what's this mean for us? Or how do we live this out? What are the implications as we set out to follow Jesus to seek and save lost people. First implication is a new priority. So now there's a, uh, as we set out to follow him, to seek, to seek and save the lost, the new priority is people. This means we value people like a fisherman values fish. What matters most in life? What, what, what has the priority as we go throughout our everyday lives? And here Jesus is pointing to it. It's people. It's people. It's people. Lost people matter to God. It's why Jesus came to earth. It's, he says, this is why, the son, why I came. It was for Zacchaeus and others. 
That's why he's in Zacchaeus' house right now, spending time with him. This means we see people the way that God sees them or the way that Jesus sees them. We see their value. We see them as image bearers of God and as people who are loved by him, created by him, and loved by him. And you know, as, I, as you watch this play out, one of the neat things, just love the heart of Christ, is he's got the crowds all around him, and he's ultimately headed to you know, Jerusalem and the, the mission that he has to take our sin to the cross. But in this moment, he's present with Zacchaeus, and he's locked in on one person, one life. And, you know, all these distractions, all these things, and he, he's just locked in there. And he looks up and he says, he calls him by name, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. And then he says, that I must stay at your house today. There's one thing on my agenda today, I must. I love that word. It's like, what I've got to do today is be with you. That's it. And as I read this, I, it just challenges me to, practice the ministry of presence, when God nudges me to be with a person, be with whoever it is that he wants me to be with, to, to be there, you know, and to know that that's, they are the most valuable, or um, the reason that I'm here <laughs> is, is to be with them, and so what an example to us, to be present with those the Lord allows us to be with, to live with a new priority, and it's the person right in front of me. Imagine today when you came in, Abby Bickle and the welcome team handed to you two booklets of stickers. One was a booklet of red stickers, the other was a booklet of blue stickers. And you're like, well, thank you, but now what? And, and they explain to you, okay, this is for our, our, we're calling it a sticker project. When you leave today, we're going to just, this will help us live with, with this priority. On everything that is temporary, put a red sticker, meaning it'll burn, right? It's going to be gone. It's temporary. It has a lifestyle. It's not as great a value as what has a blue sticker. And so whatever is eternal, it's going to last forever, put a blue sticker on it, all right? And so we say, okay, we go out, and so we start putting blue stickers, red stickers. What do we put blue stickers on? What's going to last forever? Each other, people. And what do we put a red sticker on? Everything else. So we remind ourselves, okay. What, what, what should we be investing in? What really matters in this moment? And it just keeps coming back to his people. So I go to Kroger, and what matters most? My milk, eggs, and beef jerky, right? But when I walk in there, what gets a red sticker? Milk, eggs, and beef jerky. What gets a blue sticker? The person I meet in the aisle and have that little conversation with. It's people. So I go to school, what matters most? Hey! Yep, it's good to get grades, good grades, but go to play sport. What matter? I love Cedarville, what they do. Mallory Delamarter um, play, is playing for them volleyball. And, and uh, yeah, Claudia as well. I'm sure Spring Arbor does a similar thing. But, uh, man, they take a, they write it, do they write a note to each player on the other team? And then if they ask the other team if they can have prayer with them after the game. Just a reminder, yeah, we were here to win. But really what we were here for is you, because you matter more than a win. Isn't that a cool picture, living with the priority that lost, or that people matter most, people matter to God. All right, so Jesus calls us to follow me to seek and save lost people, a new priority. But a second implication is a new pursuit to seek lost people. Jesus came seeking 
Um, when he said, I have come to seek and save the lost, that word seek is, is important. And that it reminds us that he came taking the initiative. He didn't wait for lost people to come to him. He went to them. What is the mark of a great fisherman? They know how to go find the fish, right? A great fisherman doesn't wait for fish to jump in the boat or swim up to their uh, living room door <laughs> or up to their house. Door. They're like, we're going to go find these fish, and they're good at it. So when you think about our church family and the great fishermen within our church, who comes to your mind? And I, I, I'm seeing my brother right here and his, his boys. Great fishermen. Uh, I know Randy and Tracy Mitchell, you guys out here, amazing fish. And Tracy actually caught a bigger fish than Randy that's on their living room wall. I think about uh, Will Dotson. Who else? Any, anyone got a great fisherman shout out? Well, there's lots of them, but the story of stories comes from this guy, Kevin Miller. Now, Kevin, just to back him up, the, he told a story about the delicacy of Indiana is a fish that is coming up from the frozen ice. And for whatever reason, a bluegill here in Indiana coming out of frozen, the frozen ice, they taste just, it's like the filet mignon of, of us rednecks. And so, <laughs> and he caught these yesterday. So this is backing up this story. But anyway, would you welcome Kevin as he comes to share? <laughs> well, thank you. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I'm Kevin Miller. And as, as John mentioned, I love to fish. And, and how ironic that he asked me to share this story uh, when it's ice fishing season, which is my favorite type of fishing to do. And yeah, I did catch those yesterday morning in a far, far away place, so uh, I can't disclose where those were caught at. Um, anyhow, John gave me a call a couple days ago. It was funny, I was on the phone with Jenny at the moment, and uh, I seen John McDougall call, and I'm like, hey, I gotta let you go. Love you, bye. You know, take John's call, and uh, so John said, you know, I was thinking about today's message, and uh, thinking about a story I told him a couple years ago, immediately, uh, when he mentioned fishing, I knew which story that was. And at the time, I'm thinking, well, what does this have to do with church? What does this have to do with his message? Uh, he you know, mentioned that today's message was about Jesus fishing with the fishermen. And so I went home, wanted to be as prepared as I could be, read through the message, still kind of thinking, well, you know, I've got a story, but not sure why it matters. So I came up with a, a few conclusions of, of possibly why he wanted me to share it. I'll uh, go through those at the end of the story. So it was uh, January 2009. Jenny and I, along with Shelby, lived in Lafayette at the time. And it's cold, had a few uh, cold days in a row. Well, just the summer before we had moved there. And I found this strip pit that was open to the public that, that you could fish in. It's way off the road on a, on a gravel road. Couldn't see it from, from the road. So if you got out there, you were out there alone. Um, well, during the summer, I had good luck fishing there, and here it was, January, a few cold days, and as an ice fisherman, my motto is always the first ice is the best ice. I mean, that's when you're just going to tear them up. You're going to pull fish after fish like, like that picture showed there. So I was itching to get out there. I knew I had one spot I, that I knew of in Lafayette to go fishing, and that was that strip pit. Well, it had been cold for a few days. Um, I knew it was probably a little bit iffy if the ice was good enough to hold me. I mean, I'm not a small guy, but I wanted to, to go fishing, so I was willing to try it. So I load up all my gear, put on my, you know, four-layer parka, coveralls, rubber boots, 
and uh, load up my gear, head in my Mercury Mountaineer down to the lake and park. I'm the only one in the parking lot, so either I'm the smart one that's going to beat everyone else to the fish, or maybe the ice quite isn't safe enough yet. But I go ahead, I take about a quarter mile walk back through the woods to get to this lake, and I get to the edge, and it's frozen uh, a little bit. And uh, so I just had a feeling that I might not stay afloat. So I, being the smart guy, you know, Purdue degree, I left all my gear on shore my fishing poles, my bucket, all my tackle. And uh, all I carried out there with me was my ice auger. So, you know, now this is where I, I didn't use the smartness. And usually you would check every five or 10 feet, make sure the ice is safe. Well, I seen where the fish were gonna be. I mean, they were out there about 80 feet, water's probably 15 to 20 feet deep. I knew that's where I was gonna catch them. So, so I was going for the fish, just like, you know, we're supposed to go where the people are. That was the spot, so I just marched right out there, and you know, when you're turning your ice auger, usually you got eight to ten turns, depending on the thickness, to get through that ice. Well, I'm turning that thing, and I make it to about turn one, and whoosh, the whole sheet of ice caves in. And at that moment, I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> never, never planned for this, even though I knew it was a possibility. Never thought, how do you get out of this situation? Well, a couple of things. One. I'm now soaking wet, you know, the ice is wet. It's not like they put rock climbing things for me to hold on to to grab back on top. So as I'm trying to grip the ice, I mean, there's nothing to grip. So I'm, I'm starting to panic a little bit. I'm cold, but there's such an adrenaline rush that I'm not freezing yet. And so then the second thing is, okay, I already weigh 200 plus pounds. Now I would throw another 100 pounds on for the weight of all this water. The ice was probably an inch thick, maybe an inch and a half at most. And so it's not going to hold me trying to get back on top of the ice. So anyhow, long story short, I had to break the ice all the way back to shore, um, which took a few minutes. I'm getting colder by the minute. And then I've got, once I get to shore, I uh, reach in my pocket to pull out my flip phone and call Jenny. Let her know, okay, I made it out, I'm safe. If I don't make it home, I'm frozen somewhere between the lake <laughs> and the vehicle. So, of course, my flip phone is fried because I was totally submerged in water. So um, now the cold has set in. I'm out in the air. And my boots are full of water. I probably weigh 300 pounds now. And uh, I know if I sit down, though, to empty my boots, like, I'm not getting back up. It's, it's cold. So... I make it back to the vehicle, and make it home, walk up to the house, and, and Jenny sees that the day did not go as planned. And she's not too happy with my decision of, of ice fishing and, the, and the, the lack of caution that I had, you know, being that we had a family starting. And uh, so she let me know that I would be more careful going forward. And so fast forward to a few years ago, the, the first ice was on and uh, I had to get out there. So taking her words of wisdom, we parked, I went with a buddy, so that was safe. Um, we parked the vehicle as close to the pond as we could, tied a rope to the bumper and a life jacket on the other end, because we thought there was a chance we'd go in, but we're, we're using caution this time. And <laughs> we stayed afloat, but anyhow, so, so that's my story. So then I, I got to thinking, well, 
why share that? Um, one, I, I got out of that, you know, Jesus was with me that day, obviously. You know, that uh, was very evident. Um, but I got to thinking, and I still love ice fishing, love taking the girls. You know, and I do go quite often. Um, lots of times Emily will be mad at me because I'll say, well, it's not safe enough for you yet. And she's like, well, you weigh three times what I weigh. How is it not safe? <laughs> well, me going under or her going under is a different thing. Um, so the, the, I come up with three reasons. Uh, one, uh, John just wanted to prove a point today that Jesus is the only one that can walk on water. So I, I think that's very True. evident. You know, I was proof of that. Um, two, um, and probably the more relevant, you know, in the last statement that, that Jesus made in, in Luke in the message today, um, he said, you know, from now on, you will fish for people. You know, just like when I'm ice fishing or, or doing anything outdoors, um, you know, often there's an element of risk. You've got to put in, you know, time and effort into what you're doing. And, and you're not always going to come home with fish or you're not always going to get the results that you're, you're seeking. Um, you know, you may have a setback, but you're still going to go back and do it again. You know, it's the same thing when we're fishing for people. Um, we've got to follow the same philosophy. There might be a little bit of risk there. We've got to go where the fish are. We've got to go where the people are. That could be at work. That could be at school. Um, you know, in your own neighborhood. Um, but, but one saying is, you know, you can't catch fish sitting at home on the recliner. It's the same thing when we're looking for, you know, fishing for people. If we're just sitting at home living our easy cush lives, we're not going to find people to, you know, to get to know the, the Lord. Um, so that was my second thought was, you know, we are going to have to put in some effort um, and we may not succeed at first, but but you've got to stay after those people. And third was with all this cold weather we've had lately, you know, John loves everyone here in this church. He was worried there might be some people that think about going ice fishing today. And, you know, he wanted me to tell my story either to scare him from doing it so we don't lose anyone or just to give a little bit of, of some safety information. So I'm going to, I'm going to end with giving a few safety tips here. Um, First, if you're going ice fishing today, take a spud bar with you. So that's the bar that you jam in the ice as you're walking along to make sure the ice is thick enough. And if you have a float suit, that's recommended. I have one of them now. If I do fall in, at least I'll float there and bob around for a while until somebody <laughs> finds me. And, and then the third thing is, again, to grip that ice. They make these metal spikes that you can jam in the ice to get yourself back afloat. And, so, so if you're going ice fishing, go prepared. Now, I'd say if we're fishing for people, it's much easier. You know, ice fishing, when I go out there, Gerald goes out there, whoever goes out there, you have all kinds of gear. You've got poles, you've got sleds, you know, fish finders, all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of work involved. But if we're fishing for people, I mean, this is all we need. Everything that, that we need to help people know the Lord is right here. Those people that don't know the Lord, everything that they need is right here. And I'll, and I'll say one thing, though. We don't have to know this front to back to fish for people. You know, Jesus will be with you. Jesus will be with us as we go about and we're searching for those people. Just as Jesus was with me that day. You know, he brought me back. He will be with you as you make these uh, calls to these people. So 
that's my story. Um, I will give a shout out. If you think this sounds exciting to you, Westbridge Sportsman Ministry is up and coming. Will Dodson's taking the lead on that. So there may be some experiences out there in the coming you know, days, months, years ahead uh, that might be something like this. So contact Will. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> uh, isn't that a great story? It's hard not to forget that. It's lodged in our minds. And appreciate you making the parallels to uh, living with the pursuit to seek lost people. And then the third implication that as we watch these stories play out is not only a new priority, a new pursuit, but a new passion, and that is to see lost people saved. And we can see our Lord's passion as he calls his guys just to walk away from this big catch to something bigger and something far greater than two boatfuls of fish. It's, it's people and souls being saved that has eternal implication. And then the, uh, when Jesus says, you can just feel the excitement, today salvation has come to this house. He had just told the story or met with a rich guy who was caught up on his riches. He was serving, you know, money as his God and slaving away at that. And he, the rich guy walked away. Jesus said, you got to give your stuff away if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And the guy walked away sad. He didn't want to let, let go of his riches. And Jesus told his followers, it's easier for a, a camel to enter the eye of a needle or a, a small door to get into the city than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they said, well, then who can if, if a rich guy can't even enter God's kingdom? And Jesus said, what's uh, impossible for men is possible with God. And this goes to what Kevin was saying with how do we do this? How, how do we see lost people saved? We don't save anybody. <laughs> we can't. And salvation is a gift of God's grace alone. And that takes the pressure off. We simply love people. Um, we don't have to manipulate or coerce or persuade or any of that stuff. We, we, we do um, seek to give them the reason for faith. Our faith is a reasonable faith. But unless the Holy Spirit regenerates the heart or opens people's eyes to the beauty of who Jesus is, gives us the faith to repent, to see our sin for what it is and how it's offensive to God and how we cannot atone for our own sin, but that Jesus came to atone for our sin, to die, take our sin to the cross, die in our place, and open our eyes to the beauty of that good news. God loves us. He sent his son for us, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life, meaning a relationship with God. When God opens somebody's eyes to that, they begin to, it's like a rich man running. It's like, I want more. These riches, they don't satisfy. I want more. What will satisfy? There's only one thing that will satisfy. And that's a relationship with the living God. That's why I love the word lost that, that Jesus uses. He said, I have come to seek and save who? The lost. How does God describe life apart from him, life outside the kingdom of God? And the, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Say, well, what's, what's that? It's that realm of existence where we live with him as our king, where we are now under his protection, but also his authority, where we're surrendering our hearts to him. We're praying, not my will be done, but your will be done. You're my king. When we come into his kingdom by faith, we enter shalom, peace, joy, all those things that we were created to experience. But when we're outside the kingdom of God, how would you describe that one word? 
lost. Therefore, coming, um, coming to Christ is not so much lost being found, it's lost coming home, right? It's coming into a, a relationship which will bring us life, which will bring us all that, that, that we were created to enjoy as Him. And, and it reminds us why were, we were created as humans. Romans uh, 11 says it. At the end of Romans 11, it says, it's just celebrating for, for all things are from Him and for Him and through Him. And we were made by God for God to, to live with Him, to enjoy Him every moment of every day, to enjoy His presence to be loved by him and to love him in return. When we come to praise this morning, we're stepping into, you know, that gift. And I think about what Augustine said, our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. God created us to live and enjoy him. With him, we're home. Without him, we're lost. It's one thing to be lost. We all know that feeling of frustration and fear and uncertainty and it's scary, but it's a whole other thing when someone we love is lost. And that word lost is, is not just descriptive, it's emotive. It hits our, I think God put it there to hit our emotions to help us see what he feels. I'll never forget the uh, moment at Disney when we were uh, in a food court, outdoor food court, and I, we started hearing the screams of a mom who lost her child. And she was screaming her kid's name. And then she got up on the table and started screaming, Help! I've lost my child! Help! She could care less who was listening or what they thought of her. She lost her kid. And her life focus was to find that kid. In Luke 15, the religious leaders are ripping on him for, for eating with sinners. And he doesn't tell one story, two stories, three stories to say, Guys, this is the heart of God. Why am I eating with sinners? Because they're lost. And if you love God, here third story was of a father running down the driveway to welcome home his lost son, to give us a window into the heart of the father. And he's saying, you say you love God, but you don't care about the people that he cares about. So how can you say you love God and not love his lost person? Rebukes them. Rebukes us too, doesn't it? That, that the people, what matters most in life are people. Why? Because lost people matter to our God. Therefore, they must matter to us. And so our passion becomes the passion of Jesus. And this is where it gets exciting. You know, as we step into working with him and join him in his saving work, as he does what he does in the hearts and, and the lives of those around us. We pray, we love them, and then we're ready, as Kevin said, with the word of God and more specifically the gospel, the good news. God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. If you believe, and believing is a repentance, it's a change of mind about really the, the core is rather than relying on myself, self-reliance, we will rely on Jesus alone for our life here and into eternity. Forgiveness of sin, um, it's all on him. And when we do, we receive the gift of eternal life. So question of the day is this. Who is your Zacchaeus? Who in your realm of influence is lost, is far from God, is trying to make life work apart from God? Who's that one up in the sycamore tree? Rich, might be a rich man running. Like Maybe you're going to have lunch with someone who's wealthy this week, and, but he's been trying to make 
serve money as his God and it's not working and it's, everything's a mess and he's lost. And you'll have the opportunity to say, hey, could I just share with you the answer is Jesus Christ and share your faith. Maybe it's somebody who's down and out on life and struggling and in a trial, but these trials have come to really lead them to their need for a Savior. And you may have the opportunity to step in and love them and care for them, but ultimately to share the good news of God's, God's love for them. As a church family, we call this our one life, and I encourage you to just to, make, to identify who it is this week and begin praying for them and seeking opportunities to share life with them and not to um, in any way be manipulative, or, but, but rather sincere love and sincere friendship. Just do life with them, and should God give you the opportunity to have the joy of, of pointing them to him. And I love that vision of how excited Jesus is today. If you were going into Jericho, the one guy you would say is not going to sell half his stuff, give it away, and follow Jesus, it would be the chief tax collector, right? <laughs> That's a big fish, and that big fish can't be caught unless, of course, the grace of God just slays him and uh, in a good way. <laughs> the analogy of fishing kind of breaks down with the hook. It's, we're, say, we're drawing them into a relationship and, um, with the living God, but man, God is at work. And I think about if all of us go out this week and we're just praying for one, that's like what could happen in our communities, in our work, in our schools. Exciting, isn't it? So bringing it all together, back to the calling of Jesus to Peter, don't be afraid from now on you will fish for people. What's it look like as we fish for people? A new priority, a new pursuit, and a new passion. Follow me to seek and save the lost. And today, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with the Lord and the, God's convicting you of your sin, not being right with him, the good news is um, you can receive the gift of eternal life even today as you just pray, Father, I trust that, uh, I, or forgive me for my sin, but I, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me on the cross, and I trust him as my Savior. I desire to follow him, and I invite you to get with someone. It's a journey together, and so another person can help you walk you through what that looks like, and, and, but I uh, would love to help you take your next step. But I think most of us here today are followers of Christ, and the challenge for us today is to uh, follow Jesus, seeking and saving those who are lost. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for these two pictures and Kevin's story that he shared with us. And I pray that this would just move us on to be a part of what you're doing. And we uh, just want to praise you for your grace in saving us, Lord, and realizing that we don't deserve to be like Peter. You were in his boat. We do not deserve to be close to you. And yet, you came for us. You opened our eyes to the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the cross. And that you've invited us into an eternity of life in your kingdom where it's shalom, it's peace and joy and it's love. And you've given us the joy of helping others as you're at work in their lives to uh, co-work with you. And we praise you for that. We do pray for the, the people that you're bringing to our minds today, Lord, that you would just open their eyes to who you are. Give us the, the love and the courage to step out and to be their friend, to walk along with them, and to be faithful to point them to you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.